Our third speaker is Dr. Marvin A. Block. Dr. Block is an old friend of mine. I've known him for many years. I've always admired him for his energy. He's been a pioneer in the field of alcoholism and has served the field very, very well. He is a member of the medical faculty of the State of University of New York, Buffalo, the past chairman of the American Medical Association's Committee on Alcoholism, and it was his enthusiasm, incidentally, which really saw that that committee was formed. He has served as officer or director of numerous health organizations. The list of his activities is so long that I can't do any more than say he has been a very busy man, an extremely useful man. Recently, he has written a book, Alcoholism, Its Facets and Its Phases. I take great pleasure in introducing to you as our third and last speaker, Dr. Block. Dr. Tebow, distinguished guests, fellow workers. I'm always relieved when the introductions are over. Ever since the time I addressed a very large medical audience, and the chairman, in attempting to get some information with which to introduce me, wrote to my office and asked for some facts that he could give to the audience for the introduction. And then he got up and he introduced me and he went on for a little while and finally said, I was very surprised to learn from Dr. Block's secretary that for the last 20 years he's had an all-consuming interest in alcohol. <laughs> Many of the stories I tell come from my own practice and I hesitate to tell these stories very often because I've been accused of plagiarizing my own stories. The last meeting I went to out in Salt Lake, I was talking to a group, and apparently I had had previous speakers, and one of the stories that I started to tell about ten years ago was told, apparently, and I didn't know it. So when I got up, I told the story. My wife was out in the hall, and when the people came out of the room, they said, why, he took that from someone, so he told that story. This was my original story, and if I have time, I'll tell it to you. <laughs> Some of you may have heard it. I once thought of that, by the way, I hate to read papers. I even hate worse to write them. But uh, they insisted that I write this paper, and so I always punish them by reading it. I once thought that if a human body were to come off an assembly line, as automobiles do, it would be much simpler to care for that body when it did not function properly. However, one day an automobile worker who was employed on the assembly line corrected me. He told me that the variation on the assembly line in the same make of cars was tremendous. The reasons he gave was that the workers on the line, human beings, entered into the variation not only in the assembly, but in the mechanics of the machines themselves. He said, if a worker is irritable because he did not sleep well, had an argument with his wife, or had indigestion the night before, one might find... I guess we won't have any trouble there. One might find several nuts would not be screwed on tightly, some might be left off completely, an electrical connection might be loose, or some small defect might be overlooked. This human element, unpredictable, frustrating, but nevertheless fascinating, is an omnipresent characteristic which may determine a great part of our lives. Alcoholism is a serious, insidious, progressive disease 
But the term is a general one, without much meaning unless we get down to the details of its ramifications. It means many things to many people. Like cancer, it is but a term that covers a multitude of conditions with but one characteristic in common. The term cancer means many things to many people. Also, to each that hears the term comes a mental image which depends upon his experience, observation, and emotional involvement. The only thing that is characteristic of all cancers is the excessive growth of tissues wherever they are. Each type, however, is a different condition and must be approached from a different viewpoint. The term alcoholism is also a general one, and to each who hears it, again an image comes to mind, which also depends upon his experience, observation, and emotional involvement. The only characteristic common to all alcoholics is excessive drinking. When one thinks of alcoholism in these terms, one has a little better understanding of why it is that all alcoholics do not respond to the same type of approach, that some alcoholics might respond to one type of treatment, while others might respond to another and different remedy. It has been said repeatedly, particularly by many in the medical profession, that alcoholism is but a manifestation of an underlying constitution, constitutional, physiological, or psychiatric disorder. You just heard the previous speaker say that. This is but a matter of semantics, for I can think of no illness which would not answer that description. We know that any illness involves a host, a vector, and then the environment surrounding both the agent and the host. Not all people exposed to the same agent will develop the disease. Not all people who are exposed to the same environment. But why one will succumb to an illness and others will not still remains an unexplained mystery. This applies to the infectious diseases, mental illness, metabolic problems, and others of the illnesses which befall mankind. Most of us are adequately exposed to the vectors at one time or another, be they infectious, chemical, or psychological. Many theories have been advanced regarding the matter of natural protection, antibodies, conditioned response, chemical reactions, general resistance, and others. For some illnesses, the answers have been specific. For, for others, they remain obscure. And for still others, we have no answers at all. It can be said to the, credits, to the credit of Alcoholics Anonymous that if they had not demonstrated that alcoholics could recover, the movement toward helping alcoholics would not be as popular as it presently is. For many years, there have been individual physicians who have considered alcoholism as a disease and tried to influence their colleagues and the public generally that alcoholics require treatment rather than punishment. However, it was not until comparatively recently that this attitude has assumed appreciable proportions. When Alcoholics Anonymous was founded, and when its co-founders, as well as those with whom they worked, demonstrated that alcoholics could recover under proper circumstances, a great deal more interest was generated by the public and in the medical profession in seeking new and better methods of bringing about such recovery. When in 1956 the American Medical Association officially recognized alcoholism as an illness which properly falls within the purview of medical practice, a great step was taken toward a possible breakthrough in the treatment of this problem. As most are aware, Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual approach to the illness. The spiritual attitude in any illness is an extremely important factor in the recovery of the patient. When I have a patient without faith, I feel his chances for recovery are decreased. Without faith, the problem in helping him to recovery is much more difficult. However, it is generally recognized also that faith alone will not always bring about the desired result. There are some cases, I am sure, that recover completely through faith. They do. Innumerable instances of such recoveries have been recorded, for faith can and does modify the actual physiology of the body. Studies on stress reaction and the effect of faith 
demonstrate this. As I stated in the beginning, however, all human beings are not alike. They do not come off an assembly line, and even if they did, there would be sufficient variation among them to make a difference in their response to the same stimulus and to different stimuli. There are, therefore, any number of alcoholics who can respond to the spiritual approach to this problem. There are also perhaps as many, or perhaps more, who cannot. Does this mean that Alcoholics Anonymous has no place in their lives? It certainly does not. It does mean, however, that Alcoholics Anonymous alone may not be enough to bring them to recovery. This must be recognized by everyone, particularly those in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because it has proved successful with some individuals does not mean that it will prove successful for all others. The same thing might be said of the medical treatment of alcoholics. There are some alcoholic patients who make excellent recoveries through the use of medicine and psychiatry, but not all may recover through these measures, and some do better with the spiritual approach which is offered by Alcoholics Anonymous. So we must consider that for the sake of the patient and his welfare, no stone must be left unturned which might help him. In other words, the more approaches that can be used for helping the patient recover, the better chance the patient has of attaining that recovery. Cooperation, then, between all the agencies interested in treating alcoholics is of the essence. Each has its place in helping the alcoholic, but each must recognize that he may not have the answer for all alcoholics. Generally speaking, a combination of all the facilities available perhaps offers the best approach. As I read the various issues of the grapevine, I get the impression that most members of Alcoholics Anonymous agree with this premise. There is, however, a very vocal minority who do not see this picture in its entirety who are still so egocentric that the impression is given by this small group that AA and AA alone can help the alcoholic. It falls in line with the old off-quoted cliché that only an alcoholic understands an alcoholic. To the physician who has spent years studying and successfully treating illnesses from which he never suffered, this cliché sounds somewhat preposterous. Still, it is not uncommon to find Alcoholics Anonymous members whose lack of security is so threatening that they insist to new members that only AA can help them and that doctors neither know nor care about alcoholic patients. To be sure, there are physicians who do not and will not treat alcoholics and who even refuse to do so. There are all kinds of physicians, just as there are all kinds of AA members and all kinds of alcoholics, but we must not judge all by the few. And this reminds me of the story that was repeated, that there are all kinds of doctors. Some of you may have heard this, I'm sure. Some years ago, I had a patient who came to me, and, you know, after you talk with these patients long enough, you begin to judge very quickly whether they've been around or not. And I gathered from what this man said that he'd made the rounds, and I finally said to him, I'm not the first physician you've seen for your problem, is it? He said, no, I went to my own doctor. I said, who is your doctor? And he mentioned his name, and I recognized the name. I said, well, what did he say? He said, I went to see him several times. I said, yes, but what did he say? He said, well, the last time I went to see him, he said, my boy, forget about this alcoholism business. You're no more alcoholic than I am. And I never heard a more accurate diagnosis. Pretty tough, as some people will testify, for a doctor to tell a patient that he's alcoholic when the, when the patient drinks less than he does. Just as we are trying to teach all physicians and, that alcoholics are sick people that are their responsibility to treat, there must be an attempt to teach all AA members that medicine and psychiatry can also help people suffering from alcoholism. There's one big difference, however, in this otherwise comparable situation. 
In the medical schools and hospitals, there are students and young physicians who learn from their teachers and preceptors the principles of the practice of medicine. If they do not meet the requirements of medical training, they run the risk of being refused the right to practice. In Alcoholics Anonymous, however, there's a very distinct permissiveness which allows each member to do as he sees fit, to say what he wishes, and to speak his mind whether he is right or wrong. While this liberty is a valuable one, he can often give a wrong impression and no one has the authority to stop him. While he cannot speak for AA officially, neophytes in the fellowship often regard him as knowledgeable because he has sponsored them or because he has obtained sobriety, a criterion which in my opinion is only partially indicative of success. Because this individual does not drink, he is looked upon by others as having successfully met the requirements of Alcoholics Anonymous. If one studies the 12 steps carefully, one can see that in order to live the program, one must carry out a great deal more than just attaining abstinence. This places upon Alcoholics Anonymous a far greater responsibility than is generally recognized even by many of its members, but a responsibility which, if carried out, will greatly enhance the stature of the fellowship and benefit its members immeasurably. It is easy to be critical of anyone or anything. Constructive criticism, criticism, however, can be a valuable contribution. As I get around among recovered alcoholics, regardless of how they have succeeded, I find a great many who have recovered through AA but have grown away from the fellowship. I use the term grown away because so many have stated that they no longer find interest in the meetings devoted to reiteration of drinking experiences. Having been abstinent over a period of years, they have completely accepted abstinence and no longer feel the necessity for going to meetings. For those who have attained this degree of emotional maturity and feel happy in their lives of abstinence, I suppose there is no reason to complain of their absence at meetings. What a terrible loss their absence is, however, for the newcomer, the beginner in AA. How much these successful people could contribute to the beginner who is so discouraged and depressed, so resentful of his enforced abstinence, so dependent upon others, or so ashamed all too often of his inadequacy and imagined weakness. One of the greatest incentives for continuing abstinence is the presence of others who have achieved this goal and are happy in it. This is denied the unfortunate initiate if the older, successful, and happier members lose interest in coming to meetings. Their lack of interest, however, is understandable. It can be boring to hear over and over again the stories which to them are all too familiar, but which no longer are part of their lives. Those who have lived by the 12 steps know them well and have accepted them as a way of life. To go over them repeatedly might be tedious when one has accepted them as a part of living. It would be like a discussion of honesty among men who are essentially honest and who have accepted honesty as a way of life and who wishes no other way. What is there to discuss? For those successful members, a newer and more stimulating interest might be found to attract them to meetings for the benefit of the less fortunate ones. Visiting teams of such people who have attained more than just sobriety, but also insight, knowledge of human motivations, and a greater understanding of the other factors involved in the problem of alcoholism might be stimulating enough to bring some of these people back to meetings with a broader program than just to maintain abstinence. The public health approach, the broader understanding of emotional factors, even the better understanding of the physiological aspects and psychological aspects of the problem might supply the added incentive to learn more about the problem which they may have resolved for themselves, but which plagues so many others. This does not mean that they must break their anonymity, change any of the steps, or modify in any way the principles of AA as they exist. What it might do is to stimulate them to do more as citizens, 
without themselves becoming emotionally involved for correcting the problem in a general way rather than working only with individuals. If it will only bring them to meetings to discuss these aspects of the problem, it will help to rekindle an interest which, if not of benefit to them, would certainly be of benefit to many newer members trying to start up the hill of recovery. Contrary to the feeling which many have that alcoholics like to drink, it is important that everyone recognize that it is not the drink he likes. There are many beverages which he could drink if drinking were his only purpose. We must appreciate that it is the drug that he wants, the effect of the drug, just as any drug dependent wishes for the effect which it produces. For the alcohol dependent, it is the escape into one reality that he wants, to an unreal world which is more comfortable than the real, more uncomfortable, highly competitive, and often unhappy world. But it is the only world we have, and if we are to improve it, it must be in a real way and not in an artificial, unreal way. As I've said to patients so often, if it makes you wealthy to walk around with a wad of $100 bills in your pocket, do so. But if, it, but if it's stage money, whom are you fooling? Even you know it's not real. Do you really feel wealthy? This is the kind of comfort one gets from alcohol, make-believe, unreal. Once this is understood, the alcoholic can see before him the road which he must traverse to accept reality to the best of his ability and within the limits which we all have. This is the real humility which must be felt, that all humans have limitations and that to accept them is one more mark of maturity. The difference between the mentally healthy person and the mentally unhealthy one is the ability to face the realities of life. The normal human runs an extremely wide range of ability to meet these realities. Some can take more than others when it comes to accomplishment. To aspire to greater heights than one has the capacity for achieving means continual frustration. And when the individual cannot take these frustrations and disappointments and cannot accept the fact that he has limitations, as all other humans have, then he is prone to blame everyone and everything else but himself. To face the fact that he has limitations and that his aspirations go beyond them is something which many human beings cannot accept. To avoid facing this reality, many attempt to escape into unreality. In the more severe cases where they can take very little of this adversity, some people will resort to a little world of their own to which they retire. This is a severe mental disturbance in many cases which requires complete custodial care and careful rehabilitation over long periods of time. Less severe reactions to the same type of inability to cope with reality are attempts to escape in other ways, normal escapes such as reading, movies, television, sports, and so on. Temporarily relieve the person from facing these realities and often engaging in these normal escapes, he returns to reality refreshed and ready to cope with his problems again. However, there are some in between these two types who cannot face the realities and wish for temporary surcease in an unreal fashion. The use of drugs, including alcohol, is the measure to which these individuals resort to escape this real, uncomfortable situation. Unfortunately, drugs act not only psychologically on these individuals, but physiologically as well. This is not appreciated by many people who use them. Since they seek surcease and realize it through the use of drugs, alcohol, barbiturates, narcotics, amphetamines, they continue to use them for the relief which they give, a kind of self-medication which gives them the comfort which seems to alleviate the suffering they feel. However, when one stops to think that besides the psychological reactions which these drugs have, there is also a physiological reaction that the tissues of the body actually become dependent upon the presence of the drug, then one can appreciate how over a long period of time the tissues adapt themselves to the presence of the drug to such an extent that they feel that they cannot get along without it. At this stage, the alcoholic or the individual is hooked. 
But it is at this stage that the alcoholic begins to feel that he cannot continue without drinking. The answer to this problem does not lie in bringing to recovery those people suffering from the illness. Since complete recovery of all the alcoholics living today would not solve the problem if a succeeding new generation of alcoholics takes their place. Therefore, a change of attitudes and environment is extremely necessary, as well as early case finding. This is the only hope for preventing the progress of the problem. In order to detect these cases at the very earliest stages, some of our old concepts must be revised. The idea that the individual must be ready for treatment must be discarded. He must be induced to accept treatment long before he is ready to ask for it. This necessitates a tremendous educational program for the entire population, alerting them to the dangers of alcohol and alerting them also to the very earliest signs of dependence upon the drug, whether it be psychological or physiological. Since the psychological effects precede the physiological effects in most cases, it is these signs which must be readily recognized. To err in the diagnosis is possible, but if it is done on the safe side, the individual who may be deprived of a minor part of his living may still be saved from the tragedy which it often brings. It is to this end that we must devote our time and our efforts so that the interest of both the medical profession and of Alcoholics Anonymous together will be able to help to recovery those people suffering from the illness. To prevent the illness in those who may eventually become alcoholics and to bring to the attention of those in the very early stage of the illness, the necessity for treatment, psychological, physical, and spiritual, will help prevent the progress of the disease. It is to this end that we must devote our efforts. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Block for his very stimulating paper and for his willingness to suggest to AA that there are ways in which their program can be enriched. Certainly AA has not got all the final answers. They're growing, just as the medical profession too is growing, in its understanding and insight into this problem. I also want to take this chance to thank you people for coming and hearing from the medical profession. We have our friends with you and you have our friendship ourselves. I want to now close this meeting in the usual fashion. Will you all rise? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. <laughs>